Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Talking with Children, Meaningful and Effective Conversations. I'm so excited for today's podcast because it is a unique art and science to genuinely communicate with young children. It can take years of practice for teachers to find the words, the meanings, and the explanations that children understand. But parents have only a short time before their child grows into the next age and stage and the strategies for communication change all over again. And of course, verbal skills go hand in hand with cognitive skills and hand in hand with developmental stages. Things like magical thinking and crazy kid logic come into play. So I have an amazing guest at the square table today, and she knows children very well. She is both a parent and an early childhood educator, and she's here to share her experience and her insights. We had some other teachers, parents, who were going to be here, but they got got tied up and weren't able to join us. So Alexis Geller is going to carry the whole podcast with me today, but I think it's going to be a ton of fun. So what I want to hear, Alexis, is how complicated does it get? to have these conversations about life and everything with your daughter. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you. Um, So let me go back to when Sophia was six months. We were talking about this before we turned the mic on, but Sophia did not want to sleep at all. And I read every blog, I read every mom post, I read everything and I could fill my head with and use like any educational knowledge that I had because, like, you know, when you have your own kid, it's completely different. It's survival mode. It's literally survival mode. So I remember saying to myself, there's got to be a better way than sitting here for 45 minutes, bouncing her on my leg, patting her back, and then if somebody were to walk in the door, think that I was trying to murder her (laughs) because I had her shoved in my chest. (laughs) But that's the way she liked to go down for to sleep. And then I read one day in a blog post that this woman said that she would talk to her kid and, like, literally just recap the day. So I was like, well, that just sounds silly, talking to my six-month-old, you know, about their day and thinking that this would calm her down and what have you. And then... I kept it in the back of my mind, didn't use it. Then we went through the eight-month sleep regression where I remember white, this is a terrible mom moment, walking into Sophia's room at two in the morning because she wouldn't stop screaming, didn't want to be picked up, didn't want, and I screamed. I was like, what do you want? Because, like, I had had enough. My husband was going in and out, went into her room trying to calm her down. She wanted nothing to do with him. 
So then I took her and I sat down and through her screaming, talked all about her day, about going to Target, going to Publix, yeah. going here, you going there. just feel it. Yeah, just uh, for my own sanity, just recapping the day, and it was kind of like making me numb to the cries, and I was like, eventually she's got to calm down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sure enough, she started listening to exactly what I was saying, and I was like, oh, maybe there's maybe there's something to this. Well, I didn't even think about that as being the anchor point of this whole podcast, but I think you're absolutely right. And I do believe that especially when you hit those toddler years, um... After 14 months, and absolutely by 18 months, part of the bedtime ritual should be, and what did we do today, and what will we do tomorrow? And if you can have that in place, where you have this reflection about what's going on, then you're creating these ideas and these concepts through words, and they actually then have a sense of power and control when they hit this oppositional stage when nothing works. And, And then when they get to be really oppositional, let's say 22, 24 months, um, what happens is you can say, remember when it was when you were so mad that you wanted your blue cup, and then you can actually use it for part of the emotional coaching. So you really can go to deep concepts and that awareness of their own behavior, their own choices, and, and anticipating, like, Where's daddy? You know, where, you know, where, you know, where is mommy when, um, when you wake up in the morning, I'm in my room, just call me, I'm coming. I mean, all of a sudden they realize that words have power over time and space. Bravo. So (laughs) how met, how long were you doing that before she started engaging back with you? Uh, she still doesn't as far as at night she just likes to hear about the day well we'll ask her and she'll just at that point i mean now she kicks us out of her room okay but but that's really sweet too that that the recap is part of her soothing and her settling and so everybody has to sort of realize out there this isn't about language acquisition Mm -hmm. this isn't about getting some quick response for you as a parent to see some developmental landmark in her. This is just the power of language. But the power of language will then have great payoffs for you in in a million other ways. I mean, we do it with a twist, I should say. Okay. So the Shalom song that we sing, Shalom Havarim, that we sing here... Well, we sing it, and I say good night instead of goodbye. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we recap basically through the goodbye song, her friends in class. So she'll t- you know tell me yeah, which yeah. friends basically she liked playing with by naming them in the song. Perfect. And I even have to go as far as singing good night to what her lunch items were. I mean, bagel, yeah, yeah. backpack. And that's how she recaps it. But that, that calms her, and then she'll tell me, go walk the dog. And then she's and that's you. her. Thank you, that's my my cue to leave the room. <laughs> Beautiful. So, a lot of your language explanation and your big concepts and your verbal skills and your cognitive skills came from your bedtime routine. I guess. I guess that's where it all starts. There's the magic, but there's the magic. I think of of a family routine that really, really works. And as is true for so much parenting. Necessity is the mother of really great inventions and parenting strategies because it became custom fit between you and her, Mm -hmm. and and now it's gold. It's really golden. I mean, like I was telling you, 90% of the time it's Sophia and I. I mean, even Mm -hmm. when I'm here, 
leaving work. Like, I don't get to just go to my car. She has to come with me, and it's survival mode just get to the car because we have to hop over this, or we have to go talk to this, or we have to go say goodbye to this, or... Okay, so you're a natural talker. Is that right? Did you you sort of narrate your life (laughs) in some way? Because you do that, and that's a really great language... Um, strategy for 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 language acquisition is 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 being that broadcaster you know let's say goodbye to that we're walking past this sort of being the announcer yeah and I guess thinking about it I am because my husband will tell me that I am I say goodbye to everything like (laughs) Sophia just constantly goodbye goodbye to this goodbye to that like we just say goodbye to everything or we say hello or my other point in talking out things with her is I, I don't let her use my cell phone in public. Okay. Um, I don't think otherwise of parents who do. Again, it's survival mode. How did you make that choice? Yeah. Um, we, I was a crazy parent <laughs> when she was first born and I was like, absolutely no technology. Okay. I read that with the stimulation and everything, when you read the articles, you can't unread them. So then I became a crazy parent. <laughs> And I, with that, and, like, I didn't judge anybody that did. Again, that's whatever makes your life easier. Whatever keeps you sane. Exactly. Now, I mean, now Sophia's obsessed with TV, and that's fine. Yeah. But out in public, the other day somebody asked me what apps I have on my phone for her, and I was like, I don't have any. <laughs> and I felt really bad. Yeah. I have none. Like, I have no kid apps. I have no movie streaming apps. I don't. Yeah. Because the memory on my phone doesn't allow it, one. And two, I never thought of it. Okay, so, and this is, again, a really priceless example of how that interaction shapes the language formation and the engagement and the comprehension and the understanding and the mastery. So when you're out there in public... I mean, and we're out for, like, today we went to three stores and she... Walked through three stores. I mean, she was in her stroller, mm-hmm. but she was in three stores with me. We were out for two and a half hours. So and then you're talking about the world to her the whole time? Something, you're I talking mean, she, to her about her, what, what to explain the so kinds I, of conversations. I guess I fostered good imagination in her, and she can keep herself occupied. Like, the, the lady at Home Goods was like, oh, wow, she's sitting there. She was singing all, she was like doing her own Shabbat service. So she'll have her own little, she'll have her own language and song experience. Yeah, but like we go, so like when we go to the grocery store, she has to have a notepad and I tell her to write down certain things. I'm like, okay, mommy needs eggs. Can you draw that on your paper? Okay, look, I'm putting the eggs in. and uh, You are like the most perfect guest. Okay, because so let me let me give you the, I mean, and of course you're an educator as well. Uh, but you're talking from a parent brain in a very mm-hmm. practical, hands-on way, which I really appreciate. So, but what that key that you just said, what we know about reading, literacy, language acquisition, mm-hmm. all of that, is that verbal doesn't come before reading and writing. Well, right. Right, verbal does. But... But the reading, writing, and speaking is this beautiful triangle. And so by giving her the opportunity to write, um, to take notes, to keep a record Mm -hmm. of her vocabulary, all of that is is taking that literacy to this beautiful, um, rich experience that says everything is about language. Yeah, I mean, so I got very worried because Sophia talked later milestone wise gross motorly she was always Mm -hmm. ahead of the game i mean at four months she was 
practically tripping over kids. But she could climb anything yeah. everywhere. But very precocious physically. Vocally, she, I guess, was more of an observer. And now she's getting there. Like today, we were in Home Goods and we walked past the candle section. And again, I guess I just I talk about everything that I'm doing and I make her a part of it. Mm-hmm. So we walked past candles and she said, Mommy, candles, can I smell? And I'm like, Well, we're not buying any candles, but sure, you want to smell one? Sure, you could smell. And I had to sit there for 10 minutes and let her smell every single one. We talked about every single candle that yeah. could possibly yeah. exist in the store. Yeah. So I I'm proud of her and all her milestones, and I mean, I, I wished for the day that she would start talking, and now I wish for the day that she would stop talking. Like, well, that's sort of the role. Yeah, I know. Because- I texted my husband the other day, and I said, I've been out with her for two hours, and she has not stopped talking from the time we left the car to, you know, to the time we went back to the car. We were in Hobby Lobby, and she was like, well, what's this? What's this? What's that? So I'm constantly explaining everything to her and that we is passed. there a limit to all the what's and why's? Or you feel pretty um, resourceful and patient with all of those questions and engagement? So my viewpoint on it, and again, it might not be the same as every other parent, this stage will end. And that day I will cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the day that... We didn't think that Sophia would stop wanting us inside the room. Now she kicks us out, and it makes me so depressed. Um, the day that she'll stop asking why make me so depressed. Yeah. So I just answer the question. So you find the patience. Yeah, it's like my little best friend that walks okay, around so with me. How do you engage that, and how do you know the difference between sort of the aimless, Mm, not focused, but why? But why? But why? Where's, and the and the and and the deep curiosity about I just need to know everything I can need to know about this world, and you're the person I want to tell me. So she doesn't have the annoying, but why yet? Okay, that stage hasn't hit fully. Yeah, she'll ask me thing like because we're out and there's holiday decorations and what have you, and she's obsessed with bears. It's her new phase. So she'll, she was asking me the other day, we passed a display, and it was a whole bunch of bears and this, that, and the other, and asking me about the colors and what. She'll ask me, and then, I'll, I mean, I can honestly tell her, give mommy five minutes, and she will stop. Okay. Like, she will, I mean, it's funny, because the other day we were in Bed Bath & Beyond, and we were waiting in line, and my husband was with her, and he's walking around whatever section, and she kept telling him to stay and would walk backwards. I'm like, oh, my God, that's what I do at home. <laughs> like, she literally does everything that I do, but she does it to him like she's the parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she... Okay, so she's got the big curiosity. Yes. Um, and, of course, a lot of that is the, the what, the how, just yes. how the world works, how the day is going to work. But let's go to the the conversation that initiated us coming together tonight, which is new baby on the way. Yes. And so uh, we also want to talk about the big concepts that she's starting to get familiar with. And in this particular case, it was getting ready for the baby. Yes. So we ran into having hand, foot, and mouth in the house and like... Again, I'm a crazy person with certain things, and this was one of them because I know how contagious it is, and I know how fast it can spread. So I tried to, like, nip it and cut it out for what it was, and I remember holding her. She had 103 fever, pacifier in her mouth, everything, and I was like, okay, you know, putting her to sleep. She fell asleep on me. I felt terrible. 
Next morning, wake up and there's a spot in her face. And I was like, oh my gosh, the saliva from her mouth where the sores are, are making it spread all over her face where the pacifier is. I'm like, well, we're getting rid of the pacifier. So I looked up a whole bunch of things and they said, this is a good time to get rid of it. So I said, you know what? You're too young. You know, she's not not two and a half yet, but I was like, we're going to make this work. So if you ask her to this day, what happened to her pacifier? And the pacifier gave her a boo-boo in her neck. Yes. And taking it away made it all better. But you made a big experience out of that. Yes. So and we went, we we did the whole entire pacifier tree. But somebody said to, I forget who it was. I think it was either my mother-in-law or my husband. Somebody was like, oh, you have to hide the pacifiers. I'm like, well, I'm not going to hide it from her. She should know that she's just old enough for, you know, not having Thank to you, need pacifier. It. You helped me all this way, and now I can find new ways to be happy. Yeah, like we found one the other day, and we laughed about it in the house. I'm like, oh, that's so silly. But um, when we went to the OB appointment recently, and uh, we were walking out, I saw in the bag that there was a pacifier, and I pulled it out, and I said, Sophia, who do you think this is for? And she was like, for Soph? And I was like, not for Sophia. And she was like, oh, for the baby. And I'm like, yep, because the baby's going to need help. You you don't need help anymore going to sleep. You have all your stuffed animals. Now the baby's not going to know how. So are you naturally an anticipator? Um, and I do think this is a huge strength when it comes to children. It's sort of like the, the predict what's coming, talk about what's coming, practice what's coming own it so then when the real experiences come then there's this real synthesis so you as soon as you see this new pacifier you're really clear like uh oh not going to hide the baby pacifier i'm not going to avoid that we're going to have a situation how do i months in advance start preparing her for the changes that are going to come and help her grow into this new experience I can compare this to what my husband said the other day. So we were coming home from Disney, and he was like, I said something about a new car, because my lease is coming up soon. And he was like, first, it was a vacuum. For four years, all you did was talk about a vacuum. And he was like, it's not like you're a frivolous buyer and just went out and bought like 16 different vacuums. He's like, you researched it, you asked millions of questions and you planned it out and then you bought the vacuum and I said huh but I haven't talked about the vacuum yet and he goes no but now we're talking about a car it's like you've talked about a car for the past three cars that you've had and I said because I'm just I guess I'm a natural planner you know researcher everything so in turn I feel like that is what helps her and I know that I mean I believe you come by it very naturally and that you have like a really natural gift for talking with all children as a teacher and then to Sophia as your as her mom. What I also think is so important for everybody out there listening is if that doesn't come naturally, it's the way to see the world through their eyes. You know, that yeah. you know and you can anticipate this is this is how Sophia experiences the world, and it's my job to verbalize that for her. It's my job to put her experience into words so for example like one thing that i always feel is really important when a parent doesn't know what to say there's a conflict there's a tug of war Mm -hmm. there's a power struggle whatever seems to be escalating or confusing my opinion is just describe the moment just describe where you are oh there's a pacifier in the bag you know that pause that description gives you then time to come in and go 
wonder who it's for. And when in doubt, just start putting the questions out there. And then, of course, you did that beautiful thing, which is, how is she, how is she connecting with this? How is she understanding it? And there's the real trick, I think, also is parents, it's really easy for parents to make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she knows that she's either going to believe that's hers 100% or she's going to know 100% that's the baby's. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is she could be any fuzzy place in the middle. Oh, yeah, there's always that gray area. And so she gets to that thinking process of answering the question, who is it for, asking if it's for her, she can still revisit that many, many times before mm-hmm. she doesn't get, she has to give that pacifier to the baby in a few months. Right. So that's the other thing I think that's so important for language and for kids' thinking. It's not in concrete, it's mm-hmm. not linear, it's not one and done. It is this ongoing process of. How do I own this? How do I understand it? How do I synthesize it and incorporate incorporate into everything else that's going on in my brain, not to mention some random emotion that I'm feeling today? So, um, I mean, that could have went one of many ways. Yeah, yeah. Especially after waiting two and a half hours in the waiting room, then her having to sit through a whole 30-minute speech with the doctor because I was meeting a new OB. Yeah. Like, it really could have went five million different ways. And, like, I, as I'm explaining this, I could he- I could hear my husband cringing behind me. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't go gonna, there. Yeah, she's going to have a meltdown. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, well, you don't have to deal with her after this. You get to go to work. I'm going to be the one dealing with the, you know, so emotional you're breakdown. of it going the wrong way. Correct. Like, today, we um, went through the shoe battle. She has a specific pair of shoes she loves. But they were get. I'm not a personal fan of them. I don't like sandals that have the open toes. They they, they make me so anxious that she's gonna rip off toenails. <laughs> she had to have these shoes. That's fine. I caved. I let her wear them because we're going somewhere that's not outside. She can wear them. Today we were going outside. So she had happened to have three cuts across her toes. She has three different band aids on her toes. Mm-hmm. So I explained to her. She started having her breakdown, like, no, I want these shoes. And I explained to her, and I was like, no, mommy said no. That's bottom line. I said, you have three boo-boos on your toes. And I showed her the three boo-boos. I said, these are going to protect your toes. I said, you have a choice. You could wear the pink mini shoes or you could wear the black mini shoes. Either one of those are fine. These are going to sleep for now. And she, I mean, crying, said the pink mini shoes. And I said, thank you. I'm glad that you were a big girl and you chose the shoes. But next time when mommy tells you no, you need to listen. So it's... And so sometimes, I mean, one of the things I wrote here on on my notes for the questions was the delay of understanding. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, sometimes when you're saying no and mommy means no, you have... That doesn't mean they're going to understand it right away. You could say that for months or years before you have those few Mm -hmm. magical moments when they're like, oh, she really does mean no this time and it's not worth me challenging it. Yeah. Um, And then there there will come this time at three and a half and four where you give two choices and they always pick the out of the box one or they oh, just yeah. know you know like no you can't steer me I know you're steering me and it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. but what you are doing is setting this foundation for no I mean what I say and also giving her that the short clear explanation you have boo-boos on your toes these are going to protect your toes so it, I think it gives you a sense I think it gives parents a sense of power and um 
that it's okay, permission to, to set these limits yeah. when you know, is it worth it? Can I just give in? And you think, no, no, I need this to protect your shoe, my, your, your toes. Yeah. And, and so you can say out loud why you're making the choices. But also, I think you. I think I think you're also because you're a teacher have that quick thinking, which is reason, explanation, mm-hmm. move on. Re- you know, it's you're not engaging. You're not asking for permission. You're not trying to sell her on it. And right. I think that's the other thing that's so important in these conversations is if you're oh, how do you know the over talking is when I think there's a most of it. I think is the tone is the. I'm going to keep talking until I convince you to hear what I say. And I think then parents lose their power or their their voice. So going to teacher mode, um, it doesn't work with all kids because there are certain kids that you just, they're either stubborn or they are just emotionally invested stuck. in this. Yes, yeah, stuck yeah. in this. Then there are the kids that they're having a breakdown because mommy left and there's so many times that you could say mommy's going to come back or mommy's going to do this. I immediately go to, well, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? What what do you think mommy's going to pick up? And then I I go into mommy's at Publix. What do you think mommy's doing at Publix? What do you think this or that? It's, I, I don't do the whole drill, drill, drill the same scenario to them because it, they, well, first I start ignoring myself and then I'm like, oh, well, you're ignoring your, you know, there whatever. You go. When it feels like a rote conversation mm-hmm. to us, you can be sure that even two-year-olds stop listening. So again, very, very wise words. Yeah. If it feels rote, no matter how perfect the phrasing is, no matter how appropriate the emotion coaching is, mm-hmm. it won't work. Um, but the other thing that you've said, and I, we just did, I just did this on the um, on one of the other podcasts that I did by myself, and that was the idea of how do you how do you manage the flexibility? How do you introduce patience? How do you shift focus? And you think of the marshmallow test and the way kids delay gratification and wait for 20 minutes for that second marshmallow is they get a different thought in their brain. Mm -hmm. They actually know how to manipulate their thoughts Mm -hmm. so that they can focus on something future-oriented or happy or different. And it's not a manipulative distraction when you say, what are you going to have for dinner? Or when you when you try to engage them in something that truly engages their thinking. but again, that's there. I think another secret to talking with children is to be present and really care about what they're going to have for dinner. Yeah, or I'll ask them, "What should I make for dinner?" If they're not answering me, I'm like, "Oh," and then I'll go into a whole thing about how I have nothing in my freezer, or I have nothing defrosted, and it's literally <laughs> me just talking. And then eventually they start listening in, and then they're like, "Oh, this lady—it's either this lady's really crazy, yeah. or they're actually interested in what I have to say." Yeah, and it could be either way. And the other way, it's but either way, it's loving. And so I think yeah. there's, the, there's that emotional security to she's just get, she's here for me mm-hmm. until I'm ready to engage. So going back to the whole entire uh, patience aspect, yes, most parents would probably think I'm absolutely crazy. So this past Friday, there are some that are, are right there with me and would do the same exact thing. Then there are other parents that are like, no, I, you are nuts. You are off your rocker. We left South Florida at like 530, put Sophia in the car, ran up to Disney. 
annual pass holders were blocked out after this weekend. So we're like, oh, we have to go. She loves Elsa. Let's go see her light the castle, and then we'll come home Saturday night. So we went up Friday. I talked to her. I told her that she had to go to sleep because um, we were going to see Mickey. And it was the first time we were in the car without a pacifier, so it wasn't like she had that comfort or whatever. She was great. Talked to our stuffed animals and what have you, but did not want to nap. Finally napped at 8 o'clock when we were pulling onto Osceola Parkway. I'm like, oh, great. You're going to be fun coming out of the car. So, And this was after a full day of school, everything. We decided we were going to go to downtown Disney at 9 because that's about what time we showed up around downtown Disney. We're only going to go for an hour or so so we could see, you know, the holiday happenings down there. Ended up leaving there roughly around 1130, a lot later than what we planned. (laughs) Get to the hotel. She doesn't go to bed until 130. She wakes up the next morning at 730. Now she's sleeping in bed with me. My husband's in the other bed, rolls over. Opens my eyelids, goes, Mommy, wake up. We have to go see Mickey. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So this was, I think, at 7. So we were ready to go out the door by 8.15. We are going to Hollywood Studios and open until 9. So now this kid has only been on, like, five hours of sleep. And like I was telling you before the podcast, she sleeps from 8.30 to 8 in the morning every single day. It takes a four-hour nap. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun day. Yeah. And Sophia is a very stubborn child, down to a T. She is a st- it's like arguing with myself all day long. So I'm like, all right, the morning's going great. We even did Hollywood Studios without a stroller. Mm-hmm. We, we made her walk, everything. She loved it. We're only going to be there for a couple of hours. Then we ran over to Magic Kingdom halfway through the day, right around when her nap time would be. So, and I'm a very scheduled person, so she's used to her nap time. I've made it so she's a little bit more flexible. And I'm like, oh, great. So I'm going to see how this goes. This time we had the stroller, walking around, everything. I'm like, most people would think that we're nuts. This kid's on five hours of sleep, no nap, and we're taking her to a park that's the busiest time of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, my husband even joked around in the car before we got to Magic like Magic Kingdom. He was like, we should just go home. The trip's been great so far. Right, right, right. <laughs> he was like, right. why are we going to do this to ourselves? And I'm like, no, we're going to go see Elsa. We're going to see Elsa like light the castle so we could say that we did it. We've done it f- four years, every year since they started. So... We get there. She takes a 45-minute nap. I was very proud of her. But when she woke up, I put her on my lap. I said, you're still very tired. Mommy knows that you're still very tired. But we still have a very long night, and I have a surprise for you and a little bit. Now, it wasn't like I was giving her the the surprise right then, but I talked her through. I said, you have to put on your shoes. We have to change your diaper. We're going to get ready to go see the surprise. And it was 20 minutes, I think, before Elsa. Mm -hmm. And she sat there perfectly fine waiting in front of Matt. I mean, we were two rows away from the castle so she could see front row. And like I said, most people would think that we were nuts. And we didn't even leave the park until 8.30. We didn't get on the road. She slept well that night. Well, we got a flat tire on the way home. So (laughs) she slept through all the car doors open, my husband changing the tire, traffic speeding past us. So yeah, she slept really well. But... But again, the idea of preparing her, and and there's this little bit, I mean, I, I feel funny saying the word because I don't want people to think we're giving kids inappropriate power, but I think there's a little bit of collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of, like, if you want to avoid the power struggles, if you want to give them voice and choice, and if you want to teach them 
how to self-manage themselves, then they have to be participants in this. And, and your communication and your conversations are very, very respectful, which makes all the difference. We, like, even waiting in line, she wanted to see Ariel, and it was... So I also liked the castle. It was, I mean, it was packed. And she was saying she wanted to see Ariel, and I said, okay, but you have to understand, we have to wait on a line. I said, there are people that are also here to see Ariel, and, like, we went to the ride. I'm like, well, maybe you just want to go on the ride. No, she remembered where Ariel's grotto was wow. and wanted to go meet Ariel. So my husband, being the person that he is, walks to the fast pass line. We didn't have fast passes. Luckily, we happened to be in front, uh, uh, behind a family of 20. The guy was <laughs> overwhelmed in the front of the line. Count, and he was like, who's in the family? And we raised our hand. <laughs> Walked onto the fast pass line, which I do not recommend. You can get in trouble. However, we explained to her. I mean, we only had to wait five minutes, but the woman behind us was laughing. She was like, "Well, if you're not part of their family, you could be part of our oh, family." Because all she wanted to do was see Ariel, and then we had fast passes for Mickey in twenty minutes. So I was like, "We're really cutting it close." So. so Again, sometimes language buys you the freedom and flexibility. I mean, sometimes you're just trying too. to do too much. You know, everybody has to choose. But but the bottom line is, okay, so let's talk about the meltdowns. Let's talk about when she can't understand, when she can't wait, when she's not at her best. Which I would like to say is at least 75% of the day. <laughs> so all these magical moments that I'm talking about... Are magical moments. Because that's, I mean, that's the age. I mean, that, yeah. that they do not have this perfect maturity and skillfulness. Yeah, like I was talking to my mother today. I'm like, you sure you don't want to come a week early? Because she might not have a two-year-old to visit in a week. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, today, getting in the car, we go to the library every Thursday. We go sit through their Mommy and Me program that they have. And... We talk and we, we go look at books. We check out books, everything. Well, I had to buy her this little Elsa doll because I found it really discounted at one of the stores we were at the other day. And I was like, you know what? You've been such a good listener. I don't care that Hanukkah, you just got 45 million gifts. Here's another gift. <laughs> so I bought her this little Elsa doll and she um, saw the box at the bottom of my car. Now it's meant for like five-year-olds, so it has little pieces in it. Mm-hmm. I left the little pieces at home, but the wrapping of the box was still in the car, so she was very confused on why the little pieces, like Elsa's tiara and all that, were not in the box. So she kept crying for Elsa. Literally said to her, I was like, Elsa's not here. You can hold the box, and you have the Elsa doll, but I don't have the other pieces. She kept crying for it. I said, Mommy's going to tell you one last time. Do you see these pieces? And I showed her the back of the box. I said, Mommy does not have them with her. I said, I can give you this book. Mm-hmm. I can give you this doll. I can even give you a snack. And I showed her everything. I'm a very visual person, so I, I just naturally visualize everything for her. And if you're not visual, the secret is to be concrete. Right. The idea of keep it tangible. So... Um, so that they can really focus on what you're trying to explain. Yes. So I showed her everything, and she said, no, no, no. She went, Elsa, well, I can't make magic happen. Yeah. So I got in the car, and she has this little leapfrog drawing game, and she wanted it. And when I gave it to her, she realized at that moment she wanted Elsa again, so she threw it. Mm-hmm. So she threw mm-hmm. the leapfrog thing across the back of my car. 
So we're driving, and I have my mom on Bluetooth, and I'm talking to her. She's like, why is your child screaming in the back of the car? I said, because I explained to her numerous times that I don't have these items that she wants, and eventually she'll get it, that mommy's just not going to listen to her anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it's either I could be 10 minutes late, or I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I explained to her. I gave her options. She didn't like the options. Can't make magic happen. Life happens. You know, sometimes the world doesn't work in my favor either. So I explained that to her. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You threw, you know, your leapfrog because she decided when we were driving that she wanted it. I said, you're going to have to wait until mommy parks now. I said, unless you want us to get into a car accident. And she, (laughs) and I think I've said it enough times in her life where she understands that that means mommy's going to hit another car. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, she knows if I tell her that, that she has to wait until the car stops, she'll right, she'll right. know, and I'll put the car in park and grab it for her. But yeah, no, for ten minutes in the back of my car, she was hysterically crying over and again, this. If if as especially now from two and a half to three and a half to be able to then say at the end of the day, remember when you were so upset in the mm-hmm. car, you know, and and that, or at least some time to be able to go through and reflect on some of those emotions. Then she starts to understand. I really, really wanted it, and and mommy did her best, but there, were, but she couldn't help me because mommy didn't have what I wanted. So. Uh, but again, it's you can't fix everything. You don't have to be a fixer, and the emotions can't always be talked away or or fixed. I mean, that sometimes no, you I just mean, have to she, live through the struggle. She has to learn to understand that she's not going to get her way every time either. Like we, I want to say after five minutes, I was like in my head. Because Sophia is such a stubborn child. And before she had words and before she even understood what I was explaining, she would just cry. Like, the child would just cry. <laughs> and I love her to death, but she would drive me nuts. So I just let her cry sometimes. And it's okay. And I would tell her, it's okay. You're allowed to cry. Mommy understands that you're mad. Mommy's pretty mad right now, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and... After five minutes in the car, I explained to her. I mean, we were on the sawgrass, too. And I explained to her. I was like, you remember when Mommy gave you your your colors? Because that's what she calls the game. And she was like, yes. And I said, you remember when you threw it across the car? She said, yes. I'm like, well, that made Mommy really mad. So I'm not going to help you right now. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and then she'll ask for a hug because that she thinks that she'll hug me. Makes and she'll okay. say, all better. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I'll tell, and then there are some times where I do not accept a hug. And my husband, this baffles him to no end. But I'll, I'll tell her, I'm like, Mommy's still mad at you, and Mommy's still upset, and I'm allowed to be. Yeah. You just need to walk away from Mommy for a little bit, and then I'll give you a hug. I'll be ready for a hug in a little bit. Right now, yeah. I want, right now I want to get calm, or right now I want to, right now I need to breathe, right now I need to walk, right now I need to think. Yeah. Um, two things. One is the, um, you used, I think you used it with the Band-Aids, and I, and I, and I lost track of the, what you had exactly said, but... Do you use magical words and, you know, there was something you said before, actually, that was sort of like, um, surprise, I say, I tell her, but it was like, um, you know, where, where, where you kind of tell a story around the experience and the story, mm, is 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 a child way of thinking about it rather than a grown-up way of thinking um you know i think that it's um you know i think we i think there is a power to kid logic 
of, yeah. of what, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, um, it's just silliness. Sometimes it's contradictions. You know, I think there's a, there's a, there are language games that we play with kids and language stories that we tell that embellish the reality, but I think it really engages them. And, and I lost track of the example, but... Um, I do use occasionally, so I don't use magic words per se. I do use occasionally, and I, I feel bad for my dog because he is my scapegoat every single time. But we live in a two-story house, and some mornings, the other day, she wanted to come to school in her Elsa pajamas, and there was no getting around that. She was hyperventilating to the point where she was just... So in the middle of her tantrum, I just go... <gasps> did you hear that? And I'll make myself really animated and it'll immediately stop. And she goes, what? I'm like, Max is calling you. And that's our dog. I'm like, he wants to know why you're so sad. Perfect. I'm like, and Perfect. she goes, and she'll like, look at me like, you are crazy. <laughs> I'm like, he wants you to wear this shirt. Now, again, it doesn't work every single right, time. Right, right. Like the other morning, Specifically, it did not work. And I finally, after hearing my husband struggle with her for 10 minutes over the baby monitor, trying to put on these clothes and then walk in the hallway, and she's like leaning backwards and he's trying to yank the shirt on her because now it's been 40 minutes of trying to get her ready. Yeah. I finally yanked the shirt off her head. I put her inside of her room. I turned off all the lights. I said, you need to go back to bed for five minutes <laughs> and you need to figure out why you're so upset. And I walked out of the room. And I shut the door and I sat in the hallway and he thinks I'm crazy for the, like the other, I, I did it twice so far. And, uh, I was folding laundry one time in the hallway outside her bedroom because I was like, she just needs a minute. Sometimes talking it out. Sometimes right. it just doesn't work because she is so either tired, hungry, worked up or focused that she doesn't. Absolutely. And me making like an abrupt and to our conversation makes her realize, oh, maybe I'm being a little too much. Well, it also takes away this engagement into drama or a negative spiral mm-hmm. or, you know, it's it's the fuel um, sometimes. So so there is a problem with over-talking. Um, but, and every, every parent has to find that choice between like, is this the moment or is that the moment? But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, there's just to have those standard things of like, I need you to go back to bed. I need you to get yourself calm. I need you to take a minute. I need you to breathe. You know, letting them know that there's some really clear choices. Um, last big question is the baby's coming. So, um, and any other big concept things that you've had to explain or things that seem abstract or remote? Um, you know, I think she's still pretty young for the, the God or the, um, you know, birth, death, um, but well, two things we moved in the past year. Okay. So good one. The big change. So, yeah. It's, it's a humongous yeah. change. Yeah. We went from one story house to a two story house. We went from a completely different neighborhood, surroundings, everything. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I kept was I made her bedroom exactly the same. So when we moved, we talked about how everything was the same in her room. Yeah. And like I, she went in her bed immediately the first night, but like, I was the crazy person that set up the toddler cot inside her bed and, and, and you know, our bedroom. And I was like, no, she's going to sleep with us because I think mentally I needed it versus mm-hmm. her needing it. But, um, no, she, I talked it out. I, ch- I take out a lot of books and I read books on things like the first day of school because we moved and she went to camp and was without me within like a month of each other. Right, right, so right. it was like. 
Lots of changes. Lots of changes. So I took out books, and I read books to her, and I explained about the characters in the books, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of helped her. Okay, so I ha- so the other question that I have, because um, we this came up in class this week because we were talking about the death of a pet. Um, does she talk about, and because and, and, what I want to say is sometimes they think about something, but it doesn't get to the words. So does she ask about the old house ever? No. No. So, um, you know, and that's where, and that's the thought that came to my mind is sometimes it's okay to still say, this is our new house, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, you don't have to keep replaying it, but, you know, I'm a bookmaker too, but I like the idea of make the old house, new house book, and this was your old bedroom, and this was, you know, our old front door, and this is our new front door, and so that they can really do the same and different conversation, and, and again, have something tangible to hold, so... Again, and she's so she's young, so she might yeah, have just sort it of was young. the transition was, happened and she let go. We weren't she wasn't even two yet. Okay. But I mean, her moving to this house, she's like, Oh, we have a pool now and we have this and that and it's she's a happy. bigger, better house. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? But the other thing, because I do believe, especially with children over two and a half, um, we were talking about this in class, is sometimes should you have the conversation if they're not asking the questions? And I want to say, I know from a pet example um, that a mom said, well, he's not asking for his cat, so I'm not going to mention it. And little Brian was two and a half. And six months later, he said, Mom, I haven't seen Fluffy for a really long time, and I miss her. Now you've got the stress of the six months. And, and, and so she, then he went through grief six months after everybody else had said goodbye to the cat. So I do believe, and you don't have to overdwell on it, but I want parents to have those conversations even before, even if a child isn't initiating all of it. Now with baby, where, where you, what, what, how are you preparing her? So she has a lot of um, photo albums of herself and like, it's slowly going to change because around the house there's only photos of Sophia. So she walks around just like, oh, baby Soph, baby this, baby that. And just making her a part of everything. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, she comes to every OB appointment with me. She has always come to every OB appointment. She knows the moment they put, you know, the ultrasound machine on me, she knows that a baby's going to come up on the screen. The other day I was holding one of my students and I was holding them up high because my belly is starting to get bigger. And she was explaining to the child that there was a baby in my belly and to be safe. How sweet. So, so and we, sweet. we make her, so part of the Shalom song, I make her say goodnight to the baby. And I make her pat my stomach. Yeah. And I, I tell her that she's going to be a big sister all the time. And, I, and we talk about, you know, or I'll make mention of somebody else who's her age who has a sister or a brother. I'm like, look, that's what you're going to have soon. And again, the idea that things don't have to stick right away and that and one explanation isn't the, the end all. It's this idea that you immerse her in mm-hmm. this world that's unfolding for her. And whether that world is a new house, a new baby, a new job, new roles, new relationships, you know, and you've done it all really, really beautifully. So yay for talking to children <laughs> like little, like they're little people, yeah. but also understanding their limitations as little people. Right. So the wrap-up is always the same. How have you got this? Um, talking to young children in ways that... Um, Honor them, respect them, and um, and embrace their full engagement. I mean, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> I know. I set you up for, like, I got this. Um, 
The thing that I want anybody who's listening to know is I don't have it. I don't have it every single day. There are off days. There are days where I do yell at her. There are days where mommy does have that that boiling point and I can't there's no explanation. But I literally as if I every moment of the day was a cooking recipe, that's what I do. Yeah. I explain everything and I think it's just I've become such a habit that that's the world that she knows and that's what she's comfortable with. And, and, I, and I'll leave it on that because I love that idea that what we say, what mm-hmm. we do, the routines we create is what they will know. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful, beautiful gift. Thank you, thank you, Alexis. Thank you. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.